Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The volume. Get in on the action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers who deposit $5 or more can get a no-sweat bet up to $1,000 back in a bonus bet. I was looking at NBA futures this morning. The Golden State Warriors are plus 5,500 right now on DraftKings to win the title. So if you believe in them, that's a big number. And Denver, I have Denver as my championship favorite. And they're still the second best odds on DraftKings right now at plus 450. So lots of good NBA bets to look at over the course of the end of the season. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code HOOPS. New customers can get a no-sweat bet up to $1,000 if your first bet loses. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. One no sweat bet per new customer issued as one bonus bet based on amount of initial losing bet. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash promos for deposit, wagering, and eligibility restrictions, terms, and responsible gambling resources. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Hope all of you guys are having a great week. Really quick show this morning because we're going to be going live again later tonight. Tonight, we're going live after the final buzzer of Warriors Clippers. A big opportunity for the Warriors to continue their positive momentum. And now that we know Kawhi Leonard is out, 
an, uh, an opportunity where it seems like a much more winnable game for them. Not, obviously less in the sense that they don't get the challenge or really the benchmark test that we would hope to see from a full-strength Clippers team. But considering their predicament in the standings, there's no way to slice that other than as a good thing because it's an opportunity for them to continue to gain, uh, gain ground. Specifically, the Lakers and Warriors would both like to get out of that ninth and 10th seed this year as they try to get into a situation where they have two opportunities to win a play-in game or maybe get out of the play-in game in general. As we look down the stretch, the Sacramento Kings are starting to lose some ground in the standings. The Phoenix Suns have a really tough schedule down the stretch of the season. So a lot of room for jockeying in that position. Big night for the Warriors on that front later tonight. But in this particular show, we're going to be talking about the Kings and the Suns, who had another dogfight last night in the fourth quarter. Kind of an interesting chess match down the stretch as Frank Vogel kind of towed the line between Kevin Durant at center versus going big with Yusuf Nurkic. Took a little bit of a gamble that paid off at the end of the game. We're going to break that game down from the perspective of both teams. And then I have a half dozen or so mailbag questions from yesterday's show that we'll get to. So quick show today. Back later tonight for Warriors Clippers. And then I'll probably add another one or two games to tonight's instant reaction as well. I'll just take a look at uh, uh, the schedule tonight. and We'll kind of play by ear based on how the games go down. All right. Before we get started, you guys know the drill. Subscribe to our brand new YouTube channel. mean a lot to me. If you guys would take a second to scroll down, hit that subscribe button. Don't forget about our podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts under hoops tonight. Don't forget it's really helpful for us if you leave a rating and a review on that front. So I'd appreciate that. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT for show announcements as well as film threads that I do from time to time in the mornings. And last but not least, keep dropping mailbag questions. Probably hit them a couple more times over the course of the All-Star break and the end of this week. All right, let's talk some basketball. It's a really interesting fourth quarter between the Kings and the Suns last night. So the Suns came out in a KD at center look. Now, remember, that was a look we didn't see much at all in the beginning part of the season. And it was a Kings matchup. What was it, like two weeks ago now, three weeks ago? I can't remember how long ago it was, but... It was a Kings matchup a while back where the Suns were down big late that kind of caused them to lean into KD at center for the first time, saw a big positive result. Now it's become something that they've used periodically ever since. And so at the start of the fourth quarter, it was KD at center look, and specifically what Sacramento was doing, which was causing them a lot of pro uh, a lot of problems uh, for the Kings defense was they kept putting two on the ball specifically with Kevin Durant so whether it was an ISO at the top of the key or a ball screen they were double teaming KD and then from there the Kings were or the Suns were running really efficient four on threes out of it and getting really high quality shots even a couple of opportunities where the ball worked its way back to Kevin Durant got a wide open catch and shoot three at the top of the key out of one of those double teams. There was another blitz where the ball got back to him on the right wing and he kind of pump faked, ripped it through to the right, rose up for a pull-up 15-footer. KD was like 7 for 11 on pull-up two-point shots in this game. He was just completely locked in. Had a big one at the end of the shot clock there uh, in the second half as well. It was kind of a bailout possession where he got into the middle of the lane. KD was just unbelievable in this particular game. But he was picking them apart just by drawing a second defender to the ball and playing four on three out of it. And they quickly went up by 10 points. Pretty ugly stretch of Kings defense too, which we'll talk about here later on. But the Kings do come back and take the lead. They started not overreacting to the roll man in the mid-range of those blitzing situations. So again, like a lot of times what's happening is the uh, uh, the uh, Suns are looking to bring 
maybe someone like a uh, like a uh, like a Josh Okoji into the ball screen, right? They're trying to bring a lesser offensive player into the ball screen because of the fact that he's usually being guarded by the worst defensive player. And so usually whoever's got the ball is trying to pick on the worst defensive player on the floor by bringing him up into the ball screen. So the Kings are countering that by doubling. And what's happening is an inferior offensive player is getting the ball right there in the middle of the floor. And so when they were reacting to that, that guy's able to make a kickout pass, and now the higher-level offensive players are working with an advantage. And one of the things that kind of turned Sacramento's fortunes there in the middle of the fourth quarter was they finally started just not overreacting to that role man and kind of letting him get downhill. And it's like, got to take that little floater in the lane, right? You got to take that little mid-range jump shot or attack the basket and actually get into the rim protector so that you can drop it off to the guy that's in the dunker spot or whatever it may be. Having that sort of like a willingness to score out of the short roll is vitally important. And when that guy's not willing to score, that's when things can kind of fall apart. So it swings back towards Sacramento's way. They start to get some stops. And on the other end of the floor, Sabonis comes back into the game. Sabonis was not in the game at the early portion of the fourth quarter. And Sabonis started bullying mismatches down low at the basket, getting easy shots there. Sabonis was unbelievable in this game at 35 points, 18 rebounds, and 12 assists. Had nine offensive rebounds, and the Kings actually won his minutes in this game by four points. Just an unbelievable Sabonis game. But at this down the stretch, this is where the Frank Vogel gamble came in. So if you remember... In the game that they played, uh, whatever it was, three weeks ago or so, when KD went to center, Sabonis wasn't as active attacking mismatches. That was one of the biggest reasons why the Kings kind of lost control of that game. Well, in the middle of this fourth quarter, Sabonis was much more active there. And so Frank Vogel has a decision to make. He can either go back big and you know deal with some of the offensive limitations of that as well as the defensive limitations of that because Nurkic can struggle as a pick and roll defender from times uh, from time to time but be more physically matched up with Sabonis uh, Sabonis both in the post and on the glass or he can stay small and hope that the scoring kind of makes up for it and so the call that he goes with is he ends up bringing Nurkic back into the game and it ended up paying off in a big way because um he made 3 huge defensive plays down the stretch of this game. There's a ball screen with De'Aaron Fox where uh, come, coming down the left side of the lane where Fox kind of stunted like he was going to throw a pass to Sabonis and then he tried to sneak a little lefty hook shot and Nurkic knocked the ball away. And when he knocked the ball away, there was so little time on the shot clock that Harrison Barnes basically had to throw up a prayer from like 35 feet on the left wing and he missed it. So that basically generated a stop. Then there was another one where Malik Monk was in the ball screen and uh, coming down the right side of the lane line, and Nurkic kind of cut him off. And as he was cutting off, he funneled him along the baseline. De'Aaron Fox was wide open at the top of the key, and Monk tried to whip this like one-arm pass to De'Aaron Fox at the top of the key. Nurkic just grabbed it. Just really, really good defense, containing the basketball and then getting the deflection on the kickout pass. And then finally, there was a breakaway situation, a fast-break situation where Nurkic was kind of trailing the play and he ended up making an extra effort and getting a block at the rim. All three of those plays took place with less than four minutes left in a one-possession game. And it's kind of an interesting example of defensive reputation versus reality because like, what happens a lot of times is like a narrative forms around a player and we've just decided that guy's a bad defensive player. When a lot of times there's a difference between playing bad defense, and being a bad defensive player. And there are going to be certain matchups that Nurkic is really going to struggle against. He struggled a lot in this game defensively, and 
We've seen him get picked apart in pick and roll. That was a specific issue that I'm sure Frank Vogel had to weigh when he made that decision to put Nurkic into the game. But that doesn't mean that Yusuf Nurkic is incapable of making defensive plays. This goes across the board around the league. And this is why I always talk about how you can craft a coherent defense around a player that has some limitations as long as you have defensive personnel on the floor that can do some of the bigger, more labor-intensive jobs, and as long as that player is willing to commit to the job that's being asked of him. And if you can craft for him a small, achievable job, and he engages himself in that job, you can get positive defensive production. This was a game where Nurkic struggled defensively. There's a decision to make about Nurkic as a defensive player, and then he literally won the game. He won the game making defensive plays. It was a shootout going both ways. Uh, Devin Booker hit, I think, three pull-up twos down the stretch that were massive shots. Kevin Durant hit a big pull-up two. One of the big things the Suns did late is they stopped going to pick and roll, and they started like hunting ISO opportunities, and then Devin Booker also took one in transition, which was a good way to prevent that second defender from coming over. And there was a play where the Kings did double Devin Booker in an ISO, and it left Royce O'Neal wide open on the left wing, and he ended up making the big, one of the biggest shots of the game there, a, a three-point shot. And that's kind of an example. Like When you double one pass away in an ISO situation, it's, it, you can kind of control who that guy is that's open and ended up being a better shooter, whereas when you bring a lesser offensive player into the ball screen to target a lesser defensive player, sometimes the guy that's open ends up being a lesser offensive player. So you got to see some more solid offensive process from Phoenix down the stretch. But on the other end of the floor, like Darren Fox was cooking. Um, Malik Monk had a little four-point flurry. So it was a lot of scoring in these three massive defensive plays from Yusuf Nurkic essentially ended up being the difference in the game. So I just wanted to shout out Yusuf Nurkic because it's just an example of that idea. Like one of the beautiful things about basketball is no matter what happens to you last time, no matter what happens in the last game, no matter what happens in the last season, Basketball gives you an opportunity to redeem yourself. That is the the most beautiful thing about the game. D'Angelo Russell last year gets absolutely, utterly humiliated by Bruce Brown for the world to see in the Western Conference Finals to the point where he's removed from the rotation for uh, essentially removed from the rotation at the end of the series. Like that, that inspired him and he's come back and now he's playing the very best basketball of his career. He played so damn well that all of a sudden, a bunch of Laker trade options didn't necessarily make a ton of sense. Like that, to, to D'Angelo Russell's credit, that's that's taking advantage of the beautiful opportunities that basketball presents yourself. And that's the thing. Like one of the biggest swing factors for the Suns this season is going to be Yusuf Nurkic on the defensive end. Will he be able to make enough plays? Will they be able to? You know, because like, look at like what Nikola Jokic does for Denver just by being active with his hands and using his basketball brain to kind of perceive things as they're unfolding in front of him. He can be an impact defensive player. And I, I thought that was just a really cool example of that last night. One of my favorite things about the game of basketball. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. 
We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It is an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoops takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep expert. (sighs) Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. I want to talk about Royce O'Neal real quick. Hey, I, I, he was big time down the stretch of this game. He had a... Uh, a big steal on Sabonis in the post where he fronted him and, and and knocked the ball away. Had a couple other deflections in that fourth quarter stretch. Hit the biggest three of the game there on the left wing. Hit another three in the early fourth quarter during the run where the Suns went up by 10 where he saw Herder uh, uh, kind of like trailing and not playing really good defense. And Kevin Durant came up and set like a little brush screen and they the Kings botched the switch. He just stepped into like a wide open pull up three at the top of the key and made it. He had a driving I drove a closeout out of the left corner and got a dunk. Like Royce O'Neal was just incredible in this particular game. But like one of the things that I like about Royce in particular is he's one of the best guys in the league at defending with a lot of physicality. And he does pick up more foul calls than your typical perimeter defender. But there's an advantage with physicality because like, let's say you get three or four fouls called on you in a game, guys like that are actually committing dozens and dozens of fouls over the course of the game. But the, it's a gamesmanship thing in the sense that they're good at doing it without getting called a good percentage of the time. And where that becomes valuable is a lot of times, especially with the uh, Suns perimeter group, they can t- uh, they can do some switching. And Royce has the ability to guard a De'Aaron Fox, guard a Malik Monk. He had some good ball denial possessions last night where he's just preventing them from even getting their catches in the spots that they want. That's another area where physicality helps. When you're off the ball, the refs allow you to use your hands more. And so you can be handsy and kind of hold a player in place off the ball in a way that you can't when you're on the ball, right? But he can switch onto bigger, stronger players because he brings so much physicality to the position. And then just bringing like real high hands and ball pressure too. That's so important to disrupt those passing angles. I thought he was a big time addition for the Suns. And like, you know, it's funny. uh, One of the big narratives around the deadline is like, who's a needle mover? Is this guy a needle mover? Like this guy's not a needle mover. This isn't really going to change their championship aspirations. And a lot of times when we take a look at that kind of stuff, 
we zoom in on like just what that specific player is good at. And it's like, yeah, like Royce O'Neal from a talent perspective isn't some massive influx of talent. But when you look at the Suns and what they're good at and what they suck at, he comes in bringing a specific type of player they did not have. They did not have a guy that can contend in multiple different defensive ways, whether it's guarding guards, ball denial off the ball, ball pressure, switching onto bigger wings and defending in the post, help defense deflection situations. Like He can help in all these different ways while also being a plus offensive player, while also being a player who's not going to come with the 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 lows that you get offensively from uh from a Josh Okogie, right? Like that that's that's the difference. And and what ends up happening is we so focus on this guy doesn't have a ton of talent, but even if you have this much talent in the big picture of the team, if that much talent fits perfectly into a need that the team has, it can make the entire package that much more, you know, dependable on both ends of the floor. And, and so like I think a lot of times we we kind of underrate role players because we get so wrapped up in the talent. And like to me, Royce O'Neal made the Suns a lot better. He's a force multiplier. Playing alongside superstars because he's so good at the little things, he makes the total package that much better. He increases their chance to win chances to win the title. End of story. You have Kevin Durant in the late end of his prime. You you got you gotta you gotta try to increase your chances. They took a risk, and it, that kind of risk, in my opinion, like we play the results too much, and so what ends up happening is like if the Suns happen to lose at some point along the way, all of a sudden it becomes like oh well they wasted an asset or they did this or they did that, and it's like you only get one 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 team out of the thirty teams wins the title. It's already a small chance. And like I'm never going to 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 criticize a team for pushing their chips in and trying to make that happen. One other note on a uh, note on the Suns: Bradley Beal pulled up with a, a what appears to be a minor hamstring injury in the first quarter. Soft tissue stuff has always been an issue for both Bradley Beal and Devin Booker. And one of the big things that's allowed the Suns to kind of get going here in the last month and a half has been Bradley Beal being consistently available. And so good timing in the sense that it's right before the All Star break. But hopefully that's not too serious of an injury for Bradley Beal, and hopefully he can come back before too long so they can maintain this momentum. On the Kings front, lots of good in this game. Like I talked about earlier, Sabonis was an absolute wrecking ball that Phoenix couldn't do anything with. De'Aaron Fox had 13 points in the fourth quarter. He's been going to this like left shoulder fade where he kind of turns his back to the basket and kind of backs you down and then just spins over that left shoulder into that short fadeaway. Hit a couple of those in the fourth quarter. I like that kind of new addition to De'Aaron Fox's attack in the sense that like, to me, that's more of like a bully ball playoff type of like rock fight shot because you can protect the basketball easier that way. He's going to draw smaller, quicker defenders a lot of the time, and he can get to a spot closer to the rim and like 10, 12 feet from the rim. That's just a really high percentage shot for him. So I, I thought that was interesting. Um, Malik Monk was great. He had 22 points was really deliberate in the fourth quarter about making post feeds to Demonis Sabonis, which like so many guards struggle with that and where they want to run a ball screen and they want to make the kick out pass to the open three or the lob pass for the dunk. And it's like, sometimes your job as the guard is to identify where your advantage is and get the ball there. And he just was really deliberate about feeding Sabonis in the post and it was generating offense. It was just smart point guard play really during that middle of the fourth quarter stretch. He also had a nice little, 
of scoring flurry over that stretch. He had a, this ridiculous scoop shot over Yusuf Nurkic and had a really uh, 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 sold a backdoor cut really well on Devin Booker, just completely fooled him and got an easy shot at the rim. But every time the Kings lose, it's for the same reason. They play shitty defense. Sloppy double teams in this game without the pressure that you need to disrupt the pass. Bad rotations. Bad closeouts is the big one, and this has been an issue forever for this team. They allow teams to score 1.09 points per spot-up possession. That ranks 24th in the NBA. And when you look at the amount of perimeter speed they have, that's just that's embarrassing for the level of athleticism they have on the perimeter. They should be a better closeout team than they are. They're 25th in defending pick and roll. They give up one point. Zero three points per possession. And again, they have good perimeter personnel. Tons of speed. They're the best defensive rebounding team in the league, not just because of Sabonis, but because they have wings that like to crash, which is so important with all the long rebounds that come from missed threes. They can be so much better than they are on the defensive end of the floor. And, and it really breaks down in the numbers as like their main indicator of success. When they give up 116 or more points, they are 13 and 17. When they allow 115 or fewer, they're 17 and 6. When they allow 110 or fewer, they're 12 and 3. What happened when they beat the Nuggets the other night? They shut them down on the offensive end of the floor. Like, th- th- like that is the primary driving force of their success. They, they're actually not good enough to outscore people, as we've seen. When they get into these shootouts, they typically lose. And and that's the thing. Like more often than not, they've been mediocre this year. And now for more than a month, they've been pretty bad. Since January twelfth, the Kings are seven and nine. They are tenth. Uh, they are the tenth uh, worst record in the league over that span. They're thirteenth in offense, twenty fourth in defense. Some really lifeless losses in there too. They got ran off the floor by the Pistons a week ago. Like, like and again, some of this is midseason malaise. And I, I always will cut teams a little bit more slack in that like December, January, February stretch of the season because you're just going to have stretches where you like aren't playing as hard as some of the other teams around the league, right? Like that's kind of part of the story. And last year, the Kings were that team that were bringing that youthful exuberance to the table as they were trying to make a playoff run. But like, I mean, they still have a really high ceiling. They just beat up the Nuggets. They have like a half dozen super impressive wins this year where they just kick a good team's ass. Like, I, I still think it's in there, but they really need to, like I've talked about with a lot of these mediocre teams, these last 25 games of the season, you got to put together a stretch of playoff quality basketball. Otherwise, you're going to run into a buzzsaw when you get into the good teams for two weeks during the playoffs. All right, guys, let it, let's move on to the mailbag. First question. Jason said that the Clippers are fourth in his contenders, but I remember him switching the Clippers with the Bucks from four to three. Um, you're right. I think I just misspoke yesterday. I I do have the Clippers above the Bucks as of right now. Uh, that said, like all my contender list is kind of in flux right now. I'm going to be doing uh, about this time next week, actually, sometime Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I'm going to be doing a uh, a video with Sam Vecini where we dive into all the contenders and just kind of rank them and, and go back and forth about that. So whatever the contender list may or may not be at this point, I plan on just like completely reevaluating it when we get to that point and kind of putting teams into tiers from there. So uh, look, uh, looking forward to that next week. Next question. I agree with Jason that Rudy Gobert had a very impactful game yesterday, but I have seen it far too often come playoff time. Ty Lue will make him functionally unplayable in defensive settings. I think last night was just a one-off. The Clippers will still beat Minnesota in a seven-game series. 
So uh, it's hard to say. Like I, I do think that last night was, or two nights ago, I should say, was a little bit of like a one of those games where the scoreboard doesn't really represent the gap between the two teams. Particularly, it wasn't the Clippers' best defensive effort, and like the Timberwolves have a, a tendency to to fall apart offensively at the end of games, and you know that's one of those things where I think if the Clippers bring a different defensive level of intensity, they contain the. Wolves better, which allows them to get out and transition more and avoid the set defense more. And like, I do think that these teams are pretty close. And between the two, if I had to pick one in a series, I do lean slightly towards the Clippers. Uh, that said, like the Rudy Gobert thing is not the reason why. Like the Rudy Gobert narrative over the last five years is pretty unfair on him, to be honest. And honestly, he's directed towards the wrong side of the floor. Uh, in Utah, he was playing alongside really poor perimeter defense. Like Royce O'Neal was the one plus defender that he was playing alongside most of the time, whether it was Donovan Mitchell or Mike Conley or Boyan Bogdanovich. Like it was a lot of, and again, Donovan Mitchell's having the best defensive season of his career now, but he was not a very good defensive player in that stretch of his career. And so more often than not, when you're the back line guy and the first guy is just getting toasted off the dribble, you step up. Now the defense is in rotation and it doesn't really matter uh, if Rudy Gobert is the best rim protector or one of the best rim protectors in the league because the because he's just not at the rim anymore. Now he's being pulled off onto some other player, especially against a good driving kick team. And that, that more often than not was what caused them problems. Honestly, any sort of legitimate criticism towards Rudy Gobert as a playoff player centered on the offensive end of the floor. His ability to, he has a little bit of stone hands. He can struggle to catch the ball and pick and roll. Finishing around the rim can be an adventure for him from time to time. Against a switching team, he's not the kind of guy that can go beat a switch down low on the block, typically. That was where a lot of his issues would arise in the past. But one of the things that he did against the Clippers in that game was like, oh, you switched and now Kawhi's on him and he he's, on, he's kind of, uh, uh, there's a baseline drive and he's kind of relocating to where the charge circle is. Like, well, this time he caught it and he bodied Kawhi and rose up and dunked on it. You know, or being another big one for Rudy is just being super active on the offensive glass. If you're not catching and finishing around the rim, if you're struggling in these other ways, if you can generate additional possessions or get putbacks, that's worth a ton offensively as well. And like, I do think that Rudy's made enough improvement in those areas over the last few years that he's at the least a a very positive player in the playoff setting. I don't see Rudy getting played off the floor. That's just not an issue that I'm concerned about for the Timberwolves. Next question. What would Jason Tatum have to do to be the number one player on a championship team other than pull up three? So the big one that I always talk about here is the physical imposition on the game. And the example that I would use is the difference between, let's say, Jokic versus Embiid or like a LeBron versus a KD. And I mean, Again, KD's a, an amazing playoff player, so I don't want to undercut that. But LeBron's been a better playoff player than him in his career, right? And like Embiid's an incredible player, but Jokic has clearly been a better playoff player than him. And like the thing is, is if you really dig into it, like Embiid's got more high level isolation, crazy footwork from the mid range and, and in face up situations. Like 
that jab step jumper is nasty and he's got all of this high level stuff from the perimeter and same goes for Kevin Durant. But when you get into these super physical playoff environments, when you're fatigued and the defensive intensity goes up a level, not just for the opponent, but for you as well. And now your legs are more tired than you used to be. And now your rhythm and timing and all your shots is different. Like when all that stuff changes, a lot of times the more perimeter oriented stuff can kind of decrease in effectiveness. And so the guys that have the ability to actually be the person that's better at absorbing those blows, and so they fatigue less, and they're good at generating higher quality shots around the rim, or maybe they get to the rim and generate really high quality shots from the perimeter. That sort of thing just translates better, especially when we get to the later rounds of the postseason. And like that to me is why you know, like Nicole Jokic has been a more impactful playoff player. Embiid gets there. The jump shot stops falling. His effectiveness tanks. Now, obviously, injuries have played a role there, but that's the basketball stuff that's happening. It's the jumper that consistently fails him. Nikola Jokic, it's like, if the jumper's going in, great, but he's making all these hook shots and floaters and shit that's, shit that's right by the basket. And that just that it just has more resiliency as the level of intensity goes up. And the same thing goes for LeBron. Like, LeBron can just thrive in rock fight basketball. And so on the Tatum front, like that's what I'm begging for from him. Jason Tatum is one of the most gifted athletes that we have in the league. Like just go down the best players in the league. Like, is he a more gifted athlete than Luka Doncic? Yeah. Luka's best attribute is size. And I don't want to undercut him as an athlete, but I think Tatum's a better athlete. Uh, if you factor in all of his tools, strength, length, uh, vertical athleticism, all that stuff, like side to side speed, all that stuff, right? Like, is he a better athlete than Jimmy Butler? Yeah. Is he a better athlete than Paul George? Yeah. Like, now that he has all this strength, like, he's like he's not as strong as Kawhi, and I think I'd probably take Kawhi as an athlete over him overall in the playoffs, but he's pretty close to that level. He has that capability to be deeply impactful in a physical environment. I'm saying that I'd like to see him devote a ton of energy and attention towards physicality around the basket because that to me is going to be what carries him to the title one day being the biggest strongest athlete on the floor and actually using that to his advantage instead of bailing teams out by taking higher difficulty shots hey jason could you chat about the spurs and Wemby's 10 block triple double so obviously just by those of you guys who've been following the show for a while you know kind of the format and the format is we really zero in on the top 10 to 15 teams in the league and so i don't spend a ton of time talking about the you know the the pistons or the wizards you know or or, or the charlotte hornets you know and, and, the, and the san antonio spurs it's just i devote my attention towards the top teams in the league and so i haven't been following the spurs super super closely but i've been following them somewhat and Honestly, the, the biggest thing that's changed with Wemby over the course of the last like third of the season has been his efficiency. It's just a shot selection has been way better, and you're starting to see him basically take a leap right before his eye before our eyes in the NBA. But to put it simply, like I think Wemby's a few years away from being the best player in the world. That's the type of potential that he has. And like we're seeing stuff from him that we've just simply never seen before. And like he's doing all of this around the worst collection of ball handling I've ever seen on an NBA team. I like Devin Vassell. He's a good player. But if you really take all of the Spurs ball handlers together, that's why I keep seeing these clips on Instagram of Wemby being frustrated that he's not getting the basketball. It's because he's playing alongside a team that really struggles to kind of take advantage of what he's great at. And like, they're a sneaky team to keep an eye on for Trey Young this summer if the the Hawks decide to rebuild. And 
when they actually put some 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 quality veterans around this guy that know how to play, he's going to be such an incredible force multiplier for them. I am so excited to cover Wemby more closely in the future. But obviously, like this show is very heavy on like deep dives on the best teams in the league. We we cover every single playoff game and all the X's and O's. Like we're di- we're dived in, we're, we dive into the top of the league, right? And so the Spurs, I I just think you know, within the next couple of years are just going to be in that mix and we'll cover them more closely. So I apologize to Spurs fans that we haven't been as intent on covering uh, Wembenyama's rookie year, but I promise the show is going to have a ton of Wembenyama on it in the long run. All right, three more questions and we're out of here. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It is an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoops takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design icon West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of the two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams. The natural hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary, indulges your senses, and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Visit lisa.com forward slash hoops to learn more. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com forward slash H-O-O-P-S. With the Warriors having a shot to make the playoffs now, I think that they are the team with the best chance to beat the Nuggets. With Jokic having a hard time coming up to the screen and how well Steph and Clay shoot off screens, I think it will give them open looks and open up the middle for Kaminga and Wiggins to have driving lanes. So I'm really encouraged by the recent stretch of basketball from the Warriors, but I don't necessarily think they have a real shot to beat the Nuggets uh, just because the Nuggets are, in my opinion, the best team in the league. That doesn't mean they don't have a shot, but I do want to dive into it a little bit. So let's let's talk about both sides of the four just for a second, just kind of a loose little like an initial impression of the matchup. So specifically the idea of spacing Nikola Jokic out. Typically, I would agree with you. And ideally... You need to have a team that can bring Jokic out to the level of the screen while having the amount of off-ball talent to capitalize for the way that Denver likes to load up. Because one of the things that you'll see the Nuggets do in a series against the Warriors is they'll just defend pick and roll three on two. They they will be like, 
Jonathan Kaminga, shoot all the threes you want. Andrew Wiggins, shoot all the threes you want. And there will be plays where they execute their, you know, uh, one, two, three on that four on three really fast. And you get a backdoor lob for Kaminga along the baseline or maybe a slot cut from Wiggins along the wing. But Jonathan Kaminga, you know, he shot really, really well during the hot streak. He's two for 10 on his last 10 threes. And he's only 32% on the season. The playoff game plan for Kaminga will be a short closeout. The playoff game plan for Kaminga will be you can play off this guy to help elsewhere. And the same goes for Andrew Wiggins. And so while Steph is uniquely equipped to stretch Denver's defense out at the point of attack, they are not super well equipped on the weak side to take advantage of it. And so that doesn't mean they can't do it, but like they would just have to have their timing down so good on those backdoor cuts. And Aaron Gordon's going to be just camping under the basket basically that entire series. Like it's just going to be. It'll be a little bit of a tougher matchup because Denver's defense is built to withstand teams that are very top-heavy with talent, which the Warriors definitely qualify as. On the other end of the floor, I really like the matchup for the Warriors. They have the unique ability to put a big, strong wing in Andrew Wiggins on Jamal Murray while having one of the best options in the league to guard Nikola Jokic and Draymond Green. And so they have as good a chance as anybody in the league to, you know, with the Nuggets, it's always this delicate balance between guarding the Jokic-Murray actions two-on-two versus sending an additional body where guys like KCP, Aaron Gordon, and Michael Porter Jr. can kill you, right? And like, to me... You know, it's kind of like the one time we saw the Nuggets lose in the last two rounds last year was in the NBA Finals game two against the Heat. What happened in that series, or in that game? It was Jimmy Butler and Bam just did an unbelievable job guarding the Jokic Murray two man game. And it's like, I think Wiggins and Draymond have that potential. And so to kind of like, to, uh, and then backside athleticism too, just having a Jonathan Kaminga on the weak side that can rotate around. That's real athleticism there. Like, you know, Steph and whether it's Brandon Podziemski or Clay at the two, they have the ability from an IQ standpoint to rotate around and they can rebound. Like that, te- that lineup's been really gifted defensively. So to kind of like put a bow on it, like I would still pick the Nuggets. They deserve to be the favorites in that matchup. They're the defending champions. I think they're the best team in the league this year by a, reasonable margin um but yeah of course the Warriors have a chance it would just come down to I think defensively they have as good a chance as anybody to slow down the Nuggets just because some of their higher end personnel but on the other end of the floor is going to be the big one it's will they be able to load up on Steph and will Andrew Wiggins and Jonathan Kaminga in particular be able to consistently cause problems for them And, and honestly matchups are a big one too because one of the things you'll see is like who's Aaron Gordon's gonna guard so Aaron, one of the things that the Warriors really like to do is to attack post-up mismatches to begin possessions with Wiggins and Kaminga in particular. So let's say, uh, uh, you know, uh, Mike Malone goes, we're going to put Aaron Gordon on Jonathan Kaminga because he's been one of the best young post players in the league this year. We're going to take him away. Well, chances are you're going to end up with a lot of possessions where Andrew Wiggins is being guarded by someone like a Michael Porter Jr., right? And like, that's a matchup that he can take advantage of. He's got a speed and athleticism advantage on him. Like Michael Porter Jr. doesn't move super well laterally. And so maybe you can get Andrew Wiggins with some quick slot isos where he just rips through to the right and just uses his athleticism to beat Michael Porter Jr. Like every time we get into these playoff matchups, there's always every team brings different advantages to the table and you kind of lay them out and you start to look at them and 
And I definitely think the Warriors have some tools in their toolkit that can give Denver issues. But I do think that Denver's defense is set up in a way to cause Golden State some problems. But same goes on the other end of the floor. I just think the uh, the Nuggets are a better basketball team overall, and they deserve the like kind of that initial confidence, if that makes sense. All right, two more questions. We're out of here. Hi, Jason. Warriors fan here. Clay Thompson did an interview with Logan Murdoch on Monday where he said that he is open to taking a reduced role, following a mold of how Reggie Miller and Ray Allen contributed in their later years. What do you think that means for his game? And how do you think that affects lineups, play style, and overall strategy for Golden State? Enjoy the show. Few people break it down like you do. Keep up the great work. Thank you for the kind words. I really appreciate it. Um, I was never worried about this with Clay Thompson. The thing that I always talk about this when I'm comparing some of the top players in the league, but to me, there's a big difference between like loving basketball and hating losing. And generally speaking, the teams that are truly great, they hate losing more than anything. It's like a difference. It's like there's a love of the game and then there's like overarching competitiveness. And there's a competitiveness that the Warriors group has that I think is directly responsible for a lot of their success over the years. Like these guys are just psychopath competitors. Clay Thompson is definitely one of those guys. This guy, you can just tell by watching him emotionally after every win and loss, like everything for this guy hinges on winning basketball games. And so there obviously was going to be a little bit of a transition as Clay came to acceptance with his kind of decline over the last few years. And I mean, he himself has said, he's like, dude, I'm 35. I think he's 35. That's his, if I got his age right. But he's like, dude, I'm 35, post Achilles, post ACL. Like, I, I he like he he's very aware uh, of his own decline. He understands. And beyond that, like, I never had a doubt that he'd be the type of guy that would do whatever it takes to help the team win. Whether that's in the short term, you know, don't be surprised if in a big playoff moment, if Brandon Podziemski gets to close games over Clay, taking a discount in the off season to stay on the roster. Uh, uh, for the final years of his career, um, in a smaller role rather than chasing money elsewhere, like, like I just think Clay's the kind of guy that'll do that for his team because all he cares about is winning. All right, last question: Does it feel like this year is more wide open than most to win the championship? Even though Denver is the clear front runner, they don't feel unbeatable to me. Would love to know your thoughts. Love the show, best in the business. Once again, thank you for the kind words and for the support. Um, I agree. I don't think Denver's unbeatable. I do think they're a clearly discernible margin above everybody else, but I don't think it's a particularly large margin. To me, it feels pretty similar to last year in the sense that there's like six or seven teams that have a real chance, and then there's another like three or four that have puncher's chances. But in situations like that, that is where I tend to lean on some of the more experienced teams, right? And like like Denver, to me, like if they end up in a series with a team that doesn't really know who they are yet, whether it's like a Western Conference Finals matchup with a Minnesota or an Oklahoma City, for instance, right? Like those, that to me is an example where like in a series like that, just having been there before matters a ton. Like uh, being in those wars matters a ton. And like a lot of of times, like we gloss over the fact that like Denver won easily last year, but they've had their struggles. They lost two years in a row uh, you know, with Jokic at the helm, with guys out of the lineup, you know, like Aaron Gordon was still playing during those th- those games, right? Like it's not like they were, um, uh, it's not like it was just Jokic and four bums, right? Like it, those guys were still getting reps. Going back to 2020, trailing three one in the Clippers series and coming back to win, losing to the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals. Like these Nuggets have been in battles, man. They've been in battles. 
The, the, uh, like they, they, they are tested. This is a group that has been together a long time. And so to me, that is their, their kind of differentiator, but I definitely agree that this is uh, more wide open than most years, but it does remind me a lot of last year in the sense that it feels like there's a hefty, like dozen teams that have like a believable chance to do it, even if it's somewhat small, but that there's this clear kind of like tier at the top that feels closer than everyone else. All right, guys, that is all I have for this portion of today's show. I will see you guys tonight after the final buzzer of Clippers Warriors. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.